I was listening to the words of Jonathan Faust. He describes himself on LinkedIn as a wandering mendicant, whatever that is. But he talks about three qualities of people who are vibrant, who have energy, who have eyes shine, who hearts radiate. And the three things are this. First is they think about death a lot. They understand permanence, that one day this is all gonna be taken away. And in doing so, they embrace the day, they, the people they love, they're so grateful for. They wanna make every moment matter. Second thing is they appreciate the little things and the details within. He describes his morning coffee as something that he just cherishes. In the past, he used to just throw it down or have his coffee doing emails, but he now makes it part of the morning ritual. The chair he sits in, the cup he, and he thinks about the beans and where they were grown and how far they've come to provide him that pleasure. And finally, he talks about these people having an appetite for life, for always wanting new challenges, new opportunities, and their absolute gratitude for having purpose, for having the intellectual, emotional, and physical capabilities to continue to conquer, discover, learn, explore, master, and soar. And from my own experiences, the times in my life I cherish the most is when I've had to climb on a new tightrope, sometimes relying on previous skills, more often than not identifying new tactics. I'm in one of these periods right now with this sharing stories and I'm so grateful for RBC for letting me bring to life these ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I do hope they inspire you to do more and be more. Today I hope to do justice with someone whose gratitude and generosity was taught to him by his mom in many ways through a shoebox. And his mom would say to him, you can't say no to people in need. It's a story of a journey from the civil war in Lebanon, family seeking peace, to today Mohammed Fakih in Canada. It's got powerful notes throughout it. You're gonna hear about entrepreneurial success, leadership, and generosity. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Mohammed, I am so grateful for you to be my guest this week on Chatter That Matters. Thank you very much for having me. I've been excited to do this together. You grew up in Lebanon, and one of my recent guests, Salah Bashir, is also from there. You must know Salah well. Yes, I do very well, actually. He describes growing up, and he was blessed by having a family, despite the circumstances of what was happening in the country. Tell me about your family, because I love that story about the shoebox, and I think my listeners would get a lot from it. Well, I grew up uh, in Beirut. Uh, my family originally, my dad was born in South Lebanon. He came down to Beirut, uh, sold wallets where you can put your ID in to protect them. Like, really humble beginning. I always made the jokes about his toenails and fingernails. They were so hard because he painted, he's done cement pouring, He's done it all, and he, he, he got to a point where he was well-established, started building a little bit in partnership, some towers. So he did very well at a certain point, but the war in Lebanon was very complicated situation because there was many people fighting each other, <laughs> different time, different circumstances, different group. Anything could have happened every single day, and people's situation economically was impacted by that. So there was, you wouldn't feel that stability that if you're doing well today, you're going to be doing well tomorrow. But I always, always grew up, even when I was four, five, six, knowing that my mom helped everyone. And my dad always welcoming to everyone, to our home, to our dining table, including 
his construction workers that worked with him. <clears throat> My mom had this shoe box beside the door and it was a shoe box. She wrapped it up in paper and she wrote on it Sadaka, which is voluntarily giving. And the word Sadaka exists in the Hebrew, the Jewish religion and in the Muslim religion, but it exists in every religion about voluntarily giving. But the word Sadaka is used in both religions. So she always asked us to put any money left over, or she gave us $5.25 every single morning. And she wanted us to put that 25 cent in the box before we leave the house. So I was wired every single day to believe that you're only going to be blessed. You're only going to be safe. You're only going to have a good day or meet good people if you give to someone else. If you make sure during a celebration, during Eid and Christmas, that you help someone else. So you feel the sense of celebration. So you only can celebrate if you help someone else. And your mom practiced what she preached. She did a lot of community work and one point suffered a leg injury from a bombing. How did that impact you as a child to know that everything that you treasured could go up in a second? It did impact me, but it did teach me a big lesson <clears throat> because my mom, she had seven children. And despite all that, she wanted us protected and she wanted still to do something that she believed in to protect us. So, so despite that, when she had seven children, she didn't want, or she sometimes didn't tell us what she's doing because she didn't want us to put ourselves at risk and go out. But yet there was a school, I remember, across the street where we live. And that school had a lot of refugee coming to it. <clears throat> she went and bought mattresses, pillows, and everything. And she was delivering it to them with the help of some workers. And bombing started. And we start all of us looking for her. And then we found out that she was at the hospital. She got injured herself by donating and giving those mattresses and pillows right at that school. I was scared for the first moment. But when I went to visit her at the hospital, and I never forget her face, she said, can you and your brother make sure that that truck got emptied? <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said, it's getting dark. And if there is enough mattresses, there's a lot of people that won't sleep if you don't deliver it. And I'm like, mom, we almost lost you. And she said, no, I understand. But I'll, God will only take me away when it's meant for me to be. But I still need to do. And I hopefully you guys can continue doing it. I, and those moments stayed with me forever. When people helped me when I came to Canada and when challenges got tougher, even when I got death threats, when I was fighting hate and all this, I always remembered that God will take me only when it's meant to be. But until the last day, I'm going to do exactly what my values and principle were. And I want to stick to that. A beautiful story. And Mohammed, you mentioned in one of your interviews that at the time, you only spoke Arabic in history class, that the, the predominant language was French. Is that part of what's happening in this world? Is that one nation tries to impose language and culture on others versus just opening up our minds to the fact that we all have something to offer? I absolutely think so. And uh, it's sad to still see until today. You can't become a president in Lebanon unless you're Christian Maronite. And you cannot become a prime minister of Lebanon unless you're Muslim Sunni. And if the best person for the job is a Christian to be a prime minister, you can't be because you have to be Muslim. So, so, and that's the French colony at the time. These are the rules that they wrote for Lebanon. They moved on from it. France themselves moved, moved away from the, those ways of, of governing 
but Lebanon is still stuck with it. And this division, and based on religion, this ranking and occupying government job based on religion, it's divisive. It's divisive no matter what, how you turn. I mean, it could be the best guy to do the job of the prime minister, a Christian guy or woman or, or a poor person, the Norman or like not Christian, not Muslim, right? From a third religion and doesn't have to be Maronite, but that's not the way it works. The way it works is the French colony left us with this and we're still stuck there. And the pie is divided that way. And since I was a kid, I always dreamt of Lebanon, the Switzerland of the Middle East back again. And that day is far, unfortunately. Lebanon will come back. The Lebanese people are very, very persistent. They just need a hand up. They don't need a handout. They need the support of the international you know, community to be able to change those system divided Divisive system, like, look, I always talk about the Canadian dream, but I do have a dream for Lebanon where a Christian girl will marry a Muslim boy and where a poor person will occupy the highest office in the land, regardless of his religion or who his father is. But that's not what's happening in Lebanon. They're moving the country and the governing of the country to their children and their the person who's married to their daughter and, and family members just because... They feel like they own it. Hello everyone, it's Mohamed Fikri from Fairmount Fine Food right here back in Regent Park. Not bad for a Lebanese guy shoveling snow, eh? Uh, well, we're here again in the Regent Park to cook another 500 meals uh, to make sure that families in need in our community, they're getting a proper hot meal on their table. It's cold, people need a warm meal. Let's help them get that at least. Thank you so much, all of you, and spend it with love and happiness. Thank you. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My guest today is Mohamed Fakhi. He's a respected entrepreneur and philanthropist. Mohamed, at age 16, you leave home. You originally go to Syria, but end up in Italy. How did a young boy end up in Italy? What were you thinking and what were you hoping to, to accomplish? I wanted to do more. I wanted to, to work hard to build something for myself and on my own. My dad said, I'll help you just to go there. I had to live on my own. I became a dishwasher several times. Uh, my dad used to help me, but due to the war, money wasn't available and wires were not available. I had to find a way to do it. I kept studying. I became a gemologist. They sent me from the university to do interim at a diamond jewelry store. Mr. Ernesto Franquin came to my life. He's someone that owned a very big diamond company. And I worked with one of the stores where he was always there at the time. He was a very unique individual. He's a mentor. He taught me a lot of things. I taught him a lot of things too. So we changed each other. I'd love to hear more about how you changed each other because he immediately framed you as useless, not capable of selling. He'd stick his pockets out saying they're empty. You were a Muslim. And you took that as instead of fighting it, you said, I'm going to embrace it and prove how wrong he is. So- and uh, it was very unique because, you know, as you see, I'm always smiling. I'm very positive. Some people find me annoyingly positive because <laughs> I always find a good thing about anything. I'm not ready to be dragged down by people's negativity. The first time it happened that a person from the African community came to the door and in jewelry stores in Italy, especially the higher end one, you have a buzzer to open and he wouldn't open the door. Can I open the door? And he's like, no, no, no. This immigrant, 
don't have money. These black people steal. <laughs> like, no, they don't. This is a guy a racist. And you're hoping he's not because <laughs> you want to learn it from him. And, and, and you see his family. He's like us. He has a children. They could be exposed to racism themselves. But it becomes a challenge because I knew he had what it takes to be a good person. And so uh, to fast forward, you end up starting your own jewelry business and go over to Canada in the middle of winter in Toronto to help a friend with their jewelry store. And you describe it as one of the coldest moments of your life. But when you come back, you start missing Canada. What happened in Canada that you felt that there was a magnetic part to the country that attracted you so much? Coming from Italy, especially after the Iraq war will happen and I walked into the university and some kids were clapping and saying, if you don't jump, you're an Arab. And they were clapping and jumping to say they're not Arab. They were saying, if you do not clap and jump, you're a terrorist. They were alternating between Arab and terrorist, Arab and terrorist, and they're jumping and clapping. As soon as I walked into the university, I stood up to myself and I grabbed the microphone from the person that was being a bigot there. And I actually called them ignorant. And I, I was worried that they pushed me back to, to Lebanon and I lose everything that I built. For some reason, my heart didn't care. I really wanted to stand up for something. That's what I learned from my parents. Don't hide from the bomb. Stand up for the poor because you can die at home and you can die in the street by helping. So you better die by helping. For me, it was very important to come to Canada and see the smile of every single Canadian. It was very surprising to me. Like a smile from a Canadian made me feel so welcome. It made me feel safe. And that's why I say giving back and being good to the neighbor and to others doesn't have to cost money. A lot of people say, Mohammed, it's easy for you to speak and to say, let's donate. You're not doing well. No, I did that from the beginning. And all Canadians did that to me from the beginning by smiling to me, by listening to me, by making me feel at home and a citizen when I wasn't just an immigrant. When you came to Canada, you didn't stare at a, a tray full of diamonds. You were in a dish pit in Tim Hortons. How did you come to terms with that you had to start all over again? I came with a grit, a lot of dreams and hope, and so much persistence to success and to build a better life. And I didn't want to go with a failure to Lebanon. And that's why I say immigrant. They come in with different grit and, and wanting to reach that success and they work hard and they are very loyal to the people. And that's what I did. I really wanted to really build something better for myself and for my life. And I was ready to work at a jewelry store at the Eaton Center for free. And I had to work at Tim Horton and Coffee Time shifts for night shifts. So I had three hours to sleep. And many times I ate the old donuts because I didn't have money. And many nights I slept without food. I'll never remember the night that I was looking from outside of a pizza pizza and they were closing at 11, but my payroll only hit at midnight. And I begged the guy to keep me two slices on the side until the money hits the bank. And he handed me one for free. And I never forget those moments. And those moments made me want to succeed, made me want to stick to my values because I always believe that I'm only going to succeed if I do good things and if I be a good person. So from day one, I arrived to Canada. I went and I volunteered at a hospital. Then La Suisse, the watch company, saw my worth and offered me a better paid job. One day when I'm working at La Suisse, this lovely lady came and she wanted a very expensive watch. But all what I had to think, like was thinking about is that watch would have gave me the first money that I would have buy a car. So I stopped sleeping on the TTC benches, but the watch didn't suit her. So I had a decision to make and I decided to be candid with her. She bought a less expensive watch, didn't make as enough commission as I should have, 
I didn't end up being a buying car from that money, but I felt good. And to prove it, three weeks after she came and offered me a job. And I said, no, I don't want a job. I want to sweat equity in, in one store. She said, no. She came back with her husband, took me for dinner, and they said yes. And that was the store at Cherry Garden where I went to my wife. And you meet your wife. You're so successful in jewelry, but you go out on an errand and you become a restaurateur. Tell us how that, <laughs> that, I, I was researching your story, but I just couldn't help but smile. The smile that you always have on your face, but how it leads you to the most wonderful adventures. It's not luck. We all got presented with opportunity in life. It's only, are you ready to take it on? Are you ready to always be positive and courageous to actually take on those opportunities? Or are you going to find 5 million reasons why you're not going to do them? I'm someone that Every single opportunity, either in the roofing business, either in the real estate business, either in the technology business, either in building houses business, or for sure, Pema, it happened based on helping someone or it fell in front of me and I saw there is an opportunity when everybody else did it. All along where I was building and becoming a jeweler and a great guy at Tim Horton, one of their best employees at the time at Coffee Time, I always saw the Lebanese food and the culture presented it through food wrong. It didn't represent or mirror what's happening in Dubai or Lebanon at the level of hospitality and the culture that we could present it through food. At the same time, in the back of my mind, there was what happened in Iraq war and the media. The media, what they were talking about Middle Eastern and Muslim in general. It was pretty bad advertising. <laughs> and it wasn't very good to be a, a Lebanese, a Muslim, a guy's name Mohammed. Like everything was working against me coming here, really. <laughs> <laughs> The bottom line, my wife called me one day and she said, can you go to this place called Paramount behind the police station on Dixie and Eglinton? They have a great baklava. We have a couple coming over for dinner and I want to get them something Lebanese. So I drive, go to this place called Paramount. It's an industrial area, more suited for tow trucks and body shops than having a restaurant or a bakery. I walk in, there's nothing paramount about the place. The door handle's broken. I go to wash my hand. The sink is shaking and moving with me. So I go to the counter. I order a kilo baklava. The owner come out and said, I saw, I think, your picture. You renovated a house. I said, yeah, I did. It was my first house. I've ever been renovating. I never knew how to renovate houses. A friend of mine asked me, and I helped him to renovate a house. One of the media outlets put a picture that was my first house, and it ended up being good, and I made good money on it. And the guy said, listen, would you lend me uh, $250,000. <laughs> I just want a kilo of a clover. <laughs> and he goes, we will bankrupt and 15 of our chefs will be pushed back home if you don't help me by Thursday. I handed him my card. It's one of those things that you give someone a card, you don't know why you're giving it to them and you're hoping they don't call you because you're just uncomfortable with the whole situation. So I handed him my card. Then I left with the kilo of a clover, gladly. And I get to the car and it hit me. I knew I had to make a decision. And I'm going to be someone that puts his head down and very self-interested, pile up money in the bank, worry only about himself, or I'm going to be someone that stands up for people, worry about people. Me coming to buy a kilo of baklava wasn't about the baklava, it was about that person, about that opportunity, about those people. I called the man and I said, come see me at the office. And when I spoke to him, he said that he doesn't want to continue. So I said, what about the staff? He said, look, I'll help you, I'll teach you, but the staff, if you keep the business, you can save them. So I said, look, I'm only ready to do one, two, three. I gave him an offer, he said yes. And I took it over. And I didn't know how to fry an egg. Everything was wrong about the place, including the food cost, 
menu engineering, we used to sell something that is two kilogram weight and we call it one kilo. We're actually negatively advertising the item, right? So everything was wrong, but I had to count on people and people that's smarter than I am. I don't know how to cook. So the chef helped me, they saved me. And today Paramount is over 73 locations worldwide, over 1500 employees in our name on our on the Hershey Center. Now it's Paramount Fine Food Center. You know, it's a proof of the Canadian dream that it's real. Hi, it's Tony Chat. When we come back, I chat with Mohamed Fakir about two sides to his coin. As his wealth grows, so does his heart in terms of what he's doing to give back. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. And a big shout out to RBC for making banking accessible. Clients, things like barrier-free teller counters and ATMs, and their employees, flexible workstations, white noise to eliminate static for people with hearing aids, and committees to help people with all their accommodation needs. Diversity and inclusion matter to RBC. Welcome back to Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. My special guest is Mohamed Fekhi. He's recognized as one of Canada's top immigrants, earned an honorary doctorate at Ryerson. Mohamed, your business continues to grow, and you, with it, obviously, is wealth, and you're not afraid to show it. You have a sports car, this custom chopper everybody talks about, beautiful jewelry. Some have accused you of flaunting it. What do you say to those people? Well, I saw that. I, I saw that article. <laughs> You've done a lot of good homework here, I think, for sure. I saw that article and 90% of the people get bothered by it. I don't. I do what I do because I want to send several messages. I want to celebrate the Canadian dream. We are not fair to our Canadian dream. We don't speak enough of the Canadian dream. And we should. The American dream is represented by the white picket fence, dividing people from others. It's very self-concentrated. The Canadian dream is about all of us together, coming together and worrying about each other. It's about us saying sorry too much and being kind to each other. And I love that dream. I'm honored that my story is a Canadian dream story. And I want to send a message that an Arab, a Muslim, a Mohammed was given an opportunity by Canada and by Canadians. And that opportunity is what Canadian dream represents. That if you worked hard and if you give back, you will still drive a nice car. You will still live a good life. And I want to tell the world as well that you can be both. And that's what I want to talk about now because I have done a lot of research. And I am so proud, honored, and happy that you ended up in Canada making this dream. I love what you did with the Syrian refugees. And you had a quote that said, they've been living in a zoo. If you don't have a gun, you can't eat. How can we help them stand tall and proud? And it wasn't just so much about your ability to say, I will hire some of these refugees, but really, I think opening people's minds that with purpose comes everything in life, doesn't it? Absolutely. You, no one can, could have said it better. Purpose is the answer of every, everything, and especially after the pandemic. If I put aside the people we lost around the world, especially in Canada, the life we lost, the pandemic is one of those crises that fits the say crisis is a terrible thing to waste. The pandemic came to remind us who are the essential people. And it's not true that judges and the lawyers and the CEOs are the essential. It's the nurses and the people that sell us food at the supermarket and the people that are running our agricultural businesses that, that provided food on our table and medication and health. Those were the essentials. Purpose is the answer of everything. So when the refugee came 
as you know, I'm very well involved with the refugee. I, I'm the voice and face of UNHCR. I was until a year ago. And I have traveled to Syria. I have traveled to see what's going on there. And I have asked Canadian to donate from there and to provide them with those sponsorship, family sponsorship. And I helped Lifeline Syria to hire an executive to teach Syrian how to find a job. The studies worldwide shows that refugees want one thing. It's not money. It's not a house. It's not clothing. It's a job. Because they want to restore dignity in front of their children and to themselves. So refugees don't need a handout. They need a hand up. That's where I start bugging all my friends, CEO. That's where I said to all my team, let's do that. And it wasn't only good for refugees. It was good for us. My team and I learned a lot from them. My team and I felt good about those stories and made us want to work harder because we saw that we're benefiting other people. Tony, the world has changed. People don't work for people that only work for shareholders, that all what they focus about is a profit and money. Employees today and good talents wants to be part of something bigger than themselves. Your words ring so true that I'm getting chills. I want to talk about the talk that you gave to Ryerson, and it's so sad that you had to do it virtually. And you talk about how racists used to whisper, but now they're becoming much bolder. And at the same time, I want you to also talk about in context, the lessons you're leaving your kids, even when you're racially profiled in an airport, about how to realize there's good people in every society and bad people. But I think they're just two powerful stories that, to me, really connected with me in a, in a very similar fashion. It was a very important speech to me because at the time I was fighting hate and I had won a judgment of two and a half million dollars. But yet those haters didn't stop attacking me and attacking my children. At the same time, there was going on the pandemic. And everybody usually go to talk to students and tell them it's a good opportunity for their life and how they can go on and make just a difference and make money and build a better future. And I said to them, bad people feel more comfortable. They see others of their kind getting ahead. They feel free. And so graduates, I will tell you what the world needs from you. The world needs good people. Good people who are willing to do good things. In a dark time, the world needs more light. The world needs you to shine. The world needs good leaders. Leaders that they are ready to stand up, not say what's more popular, say what's right. Leadership is about not benefiting you. It's about how much you benefit others with what you're doing and the opportunity you have and the platform you built. Not doing the easy thing and not doing only the profitable thing. It's simply doing the right thing. Canadians are beautiful and amazing people. I love Canada. I love its people. We just need to send a message to the good people of this country that you're not rocking the boat. And the good people are much bigger in numbers than the bad people. We're just silenced. All Canadian together. That's the new Canada that I hope will be represented in every single boardroom and in every government office. A Canada that looks like our street. And that's what I wanted from those students. So how do you convey that to your sons who have been attacked 
for being Muslim. They've traveled with you when uh, custom agents step way over the line because your name is Mohammed. How do you cushion that so that they realize that they're as open-minded to the possibilities that there's more good than bad versus immediately build a shell around them that says that, that the world isn't as inviting as you think it is? And Tony, I saw both. I saw both in the face of my children, my only children. When the hater attacked me in the mall with my children, I saw my older boy putting the hoodie in his head, thinking he's hiding that way, that people will not see that person screaming and yelling at us and calling me baby killer. I'll never forget my son asked me, why don't we change our last name? But I saw as well Canada changing to positive. I saw last 10 years and this 10 years. I saw Ijaz standing up beside me and say, no, if you do that, you're going to go to jail to somebody like Mohammed. Today, we have several judgment and precedents against them. We have more leaders talking about it. Not enough. There is still a lot of things that we could do, but I'm used to celebrate. I celebrate with everyone, Tony. I celebrate with the Sikh community, with the Jewish community, with the Christian community, and with the Muslim community. I love celebrating. Canada is worth celebrating. Canadians are worth celebrating. And I do celebrate what happened 10 years ago, what brought us to this coming time where there are voices saying no to hate. When they tried to shut down Sufi because he was Syrian refugee, I went and reopened it. Canadians stormed down to Sufi, lined up to eat food and to send a message that hate will never win in Canada. My kids are blessed to be attacked by haters. Every single successful CEO wonder how they can get their children grounded. The hate experience is an experience that a lot of immigrants face, but they don't talk about. My children had the opportunity to talk about it and that the media asked them about it. They had the opportunity that their school made them stand up and tell the story. But can I tell you the sad story, Tony? Nine people in that classroom lift up their hand and they said, we have been exposed to something similar. And nobody ever talked about it. My wife always asked my kids, what do you want to become? A doctor, a lawyer? Look, I became a gemologist. My dad didn't know how to even say it, right? He didn't think there was a job even. I want to teach them kindness. I don't care if they became a lawyer or a doctor. I want to teach them kindness. I want to teach them to be grateful. Like we're coming to a Christmas time. I love a Christmas. I love the Christmas songs and seeing the malls decorated and people buying gifts to each other. If I want to be grateful about anything, is that my kids since seven years ago, they came and did meals with me at Region Park. They were celebrated in their school for being kinder people. We do become what we celebrate, and we need to celebrate people for their kindness and for the legacy they want to leave. Because our collective legacy as a country should be a legacy of kinder people doing good things in the world. My special guest, Mohammed Fakih. Mohammed, you've had so many awards, honorary doctorates, top 25 immigrants, top entrepreneur in the I mean, literally, I could spend an hour how people are waking up to this attitude of giving and doing more. Does any awards stand up above all others? Well, they all start, stand up on top of each other. Because what I want, I wanted to get them piled up so high because I do want to change the way Canada celebrate. And I want to send a message to people who has a heavy accent like mine, a weird last name like mine, different background, that in this country, you will be celebrated. You do good. You look after the poor. You care. You put your peop the people first. You put your heart first. And you will be celebrated. 
and we need to have more people celebrated and awarded that their last name cannot be pronounced by people who are not used to a Sri Lankan person's last name and to Lebanese person's last name and to a black person's last name. The hard reality is that fewer people are giving to charities nowadays and the ones that are are giving less and charities are in a crisis. What do you think needs to be done to have Canadians, more Canadians embody the sense that it's good to give? It's not just something I should do. It's something that really is fostering the sense of what the Canadian dream is all about. It used to be giving a charity is a good thing to do. That's what it used to be. I have a business case to prove here, and I've proven it. Any CEO today, any shareholders that does not believe that giving back will be exactly tied to being successful in business and moving forward, they're wrong, they're missing the point, and their company would not last. At Paramount, I implanted a culture. We, as a team, have a culture. Profit is a destination. And how do you get there? And we get there by putting our people first. Your employees are your biggest asset. Isn't your brand name? Isn't your money in the bank? That money will leave you. That money will be spent if your employees does not believe and buy into the company noble mission. Purpose. If you do not help the community where you live in and do business in, the community won't help you. So it has to be the segue to make a profit is to help the community and give back. And if we become that way, we will not have a problem on less people giving back because it's attached to their success. Would you ever consider running to lead this country? I am running to lead the country already by providing good people doing good things and conditioning that we vote only for leaders that they actually understand and they work for this community and for this country dream to stay. Leadership is not about only political leader. We are all leaders. Political leaders, they only pay attention to argument and causes that are important to them, that bring vote to their party. So if we become vocal and people like myself and others that do a better job than I am, become vocal about causes that make those leaders pay attention, to those causes, we don't need to all become a prime minister. Somebody has to vote, and I'm happy to be on the voting side, but I'm happy as well to advocate. And leadership is about every one of us to speak out more often and send a message to our political leader that you will not be voted anymore unless you do the right thing for the poor and for the homeless and for the nurses and paid sick leave for the people so they don't come out to work sick because they can't provide a meal on their table. And if we all did that, we can make sure that our political leader has the right leadership. Let the best person do the job. So, Mohammed, when I was interviewing you, I mentioned we talked about two lessons your mom taught you. One was with the shoebox, make sure there's always something to give back. And the other was when she was in the hospital after the bombing and she said, go and unload the truck because people need mattresses that night. If I'm interviewing your sons 30 years from now, what do you think the lesson that will stand out for them that their dad taught them? Will be. Two things for sure. One, give it until it hurts. Don't give back when you have it. Give back when you need it. When the pandemic hit, I dropped my prices at Paramount so Canadians can buy more food with their $10. I told my team, if this company is not going to last and we're not going to be able to stay up open, I'd rather close down three months earlier, but save our culture and our noble mission to help others while we exist in this community. 
the community supported us. They gave us more business in the pandemic because of what we did, because we served 140,000 really during the pandemic. And because we did the Turkey drive in Christmas to make sure that every single family, the poor families in our country, has a proper Christmas dinner. And it's a special, special message from the guys named Mohammed, ready to come out for three weeks to work hard to make sure people celebrating a Christmas, to show that love of Canadian to Canadian, regardless where you're from and your religion. Real love, where you leave your family to come out every single morning to distribute, where you go call your friends, beg them to donate. It's a beautiful work. Join me. Let's do it together. I think my children will remember that. My children will remember as well that it doesn't matter if you have an accent or you don't. And it doesn't matter if you're African or Spanish background or Lebanese or Muslim or Jewish or you're gay or straight or whatever you are. It doesn't matter if you're liberal or conservative. You have to be a good person and your opportunity is equal. And if you are bullied or you're called out for something that is unfair, stand up. And don't do it for you. Do it for people that can't afford to stand up. Mohammed, I always end my chats with the three things that I take away from it. I think the first one would be, I love what you talked about. Instead of immigrant hustle, you talked about immigrant grit. And that the most important thing that they want more than anything else is a job so they can reclaim their dignity. And that is a powerful lesson for all of us that think that these people are coming here to take, they want to give back. Second thing is the sense of that when opportunity knocks on your door, it's always in front of you. Have the courage and conviction to take it on. And the final thing, which is the core that's resonated through all of this, is that this is a, a Muslim with the name Mohammed that probably understands the Canadian dream more than anyone I've ever chatted with. And for that, my friend, I am so honored that you would join me on Christmas Eve to share all that matters. Thank you very much. And to everyone out there, Merry Christmas. Hug your loved ones. They are growing in the best country on earth, a country where the opportunity is available to everyone, where their dream could be exceeded because Canada is the best country on earth and Canadians are the best people I've ever met that they welcomed me to this country. I love the Christmas. I love the snow. I love the Christmas songs. I love seeing people celebrate it. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hopefully to the next better year for all of us in Canada, where Canada can lead the world with kinder capitalism. Happy holidays, everyone. Another year that we'll always remember and wish we could forget. This constant fear, this storm of negativity, we start feeling the impossibility and insecurity and uncertainty is our way going forward. But it doesn't have to be that way. And in my small way, I'm trying to counter this storm by sharing stories of ordinary people who do extraordinary things despite their circumstances. Yes, some have won Olympic goals and sellout stadiums. Others are social justice warriors, but many are just the ordinary people. Some people coming through the most dire of straits to reclaim a path of passion and purpose. So thank you to all the guests who joined me this year and shared your stories. And thank you to all the listeners who listened. And a special thank you for me to RBC for providing the resources and the passion and the commitment from your end to help bring Chatter That Matters to life. Happy New Year, and here's to 2022. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network.